Welcome to Agriculture In-Depth, presented by Kimball Livestock Exchange and by Sioux Nation in Fort Pier. I'm DRG Media Group News and Farm Director Jody Heemstra. In this episode, we'll hear from U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. He attended a news conference in late September 2022 and outlined the department's new fertilizer production expansion program. We'll hear what he had to say during the event hosted by the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture after this. Cattlemen, when you're looking to buy and sell cattle, look no further than Kimball Livestock Exchange in Kimball, South Dakota. At Kimball Livestock Exchange, you'll find cattlemen working for cattlemen with a sale every Tuesday. If you can't make it to the barn, you can watch the sale live on Cattle. USA. Visit KimballLivestockExchange.com to view upcoming sale information. For more sale information or to consign, call the barn at 605-778-6211, Chad at 605-870-0697, or Wade at 605-730-1801. The federal government is making $500 million in grants available to increase American-made fertilizer production. USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack says the goal is to spur competition and combat price hikes on U.S. farmers caused by the war in Ukraine. We want to do everything we can uh, now, uh, as best we can, to help uh, allay some of the concerns out there. Uh, Earlier in the year, we announced the opportunity to put together a $250 million initiative focused on the domestic production of fertilizer. President Biden ordered that that initiative be doubled to $500 million. The resources are coming from the Commodity Credit Corporation. Uh, We are announcing today uh, how we're going to go about identifying the projects to fund with those resources. Uh, We're looking at grants ranging from $1 million to as much as $100 million. Uh, We are hopeful uh, that these grant applications come from uh, independent operations, not uh, the dominant fertilizer companies in the, in the country. We want to make sure that we expand capacity and, and competition. We want them to be farmer-focused. Uh, we want them to spur innovation. Uh, we want the inputs uh, for whatever is produced to be uh, sustainably produced. And we obviously want to make sure that it's uh, made in America. Uh, we have two different grant application windows. The first window is a 45-day window. That window is for applications for projects where the applicants can make the case that they are in a position to provide assistance and help in expanding capacity and uh, resources for fertilizer for crop year 2023 and crop year 2024. So more immediate impact and effect. Uh, There will be a second window, uh, a 90-day window, uh, for applications that seek to have resources for longer-term projects projects that uh, may go beyond the 2024 crop year before they have an impact. Uh, We have two webinars that are scheduled. October 4th, there's a webinar to sort of explain the program. October 6th, there's a webinar uh, in order to uh, give more information about the application process. Would encourage folks to take advantage of both of those. The site uh, for both of those webinars is the press release that's uh, accompanying this press conference. And finally, uh, for those who are anxious and interested in knowing who can qualify and apply for its broad for-profit companies obviously not-for-profit organizations uh, co-ops farm-owned co-ops uh, opportunities for state and local government uh, opportunities for tribes and tribal organizations uh, as well as uh, certified benefit corporations uh, can apply and it's www.grants.gov is the uh, website for where you might get information about the applications. So we'll be uh, posting this in the next couple of days. I'll start the 45-day clock and the 90-day clock. 
Um, I'm on the Adirondack Explorer. I come from the Adirondack Park, which is a lot of forest preserve in New York. Um, we do have the Champlain Valley with lots of farms, and we're seeing more and more solar facilities, particularly large-scale solar facilities coming in, um, building on ag lands. A lot of farmers are um, taking the, uh, you know, the, the land, the money for for loaning it out to uh, solar developers. Are you concerned about that at all? And what is sort of the the balance between getting more renewable energy on the grid, but also protecting prime well, I think uh, we obviously honor uh, and respect the decisions that property owners are making for themselves. Uh, whenever we do a program, whenever we uh, try to design a program, we always want it to be former focused. We want to preserve and respect uh, private property rights as best we can. So obviously folks have a decision to make, and it's one that they have to make for what is best for their particular operation and what's best for their family. Having said that, I think we are constantly looking for ways in which we can help farmers uh, increase their income. So at the end of the day, the decision to farm, as opposed to creating a solar farm, can be as profitable or more profitable. That's why we're investing in more processing capacity uh, to allow farmers to get a better price for whatever it is they're raising. That's why we are focused on the local regional food systems and supporting those food systems so the farmers have additional markets. That's why we continue to uh, promote exports for stronger commodity markets. Uh, it's the reason why uh, we are uh, excited about the response to climate smart agriculture commodities and the partnerships uh, that we're sponsoring because we think they offer uh, new revenue streams and sources for farmers. So the key here is uh, making farming as profitable, as competitive as a renewable energy project might be, and then let farmers make the right choice for themselves and their families. Just follow up to that. There, there also has been some pairing with grazing and other uh, farm-related activities when these facilities go up. Is there anything else you, you could think of that you'd like to see that would help maybe create the partnership between the renewable energy and uh, well, is grazing enough, I guess? The, there are a number of projects uh, in the Climate Smart Commodity Partnership Initiative that focus on energy production, focus on renewable energy, and have that as a component. So I think we're going to learn a few best practices there. Uh, obviously, to the extent that you've got livestock that can can uh, can be used to maintain uh, grasses and so forth that could interfere with the ability of a solar farm to do what solar farms are designed to do, obviously that creates an opportunity, but you then have to have a market for that livestock, and that's why we invest in the, the local regional food system, because it provides a, a market for a goat or, or sheep or whatever may be grazing on that uh, on that farm. Safety in your cattle operation is imperative to not only you, but your cattle as well. From front to back, from tube to chute, AeroQuip cattle chutes go through extensive testing to ensure reliability and safety. With an extremely user-friendly design, you're in for a smooth operation every time. AeroQuip cattle chutes are the safe equipment you can trust every step of the way. That's one benefit, but not all. For more information, see Sioux Nation in Fort Pierce, South Dakota. I'm Secretary uh, Nick Rice from Spectrum News. Um, one of the big agriculture issues right now in New York is the lowering of the overtime threshold from 60 hours a week to 40 hours a week over the next decade or so. A number of ag producers have raised some concerns about this, about the potential of a subsidy going away for it that could not necessarily be there 10 years from now. What sort of role do you see the federal government playing at all 
in this concern here? Do you think 40 hours a week is, is a good target for overtime? Is, is this a state initiative or? This is, this is a, uh, something that the state acting markets is yeah. Uh, well, uh, obviously every state's got the right to make uh, its own decisions about uh, work-related conditions. Uh, it often, and oftentimes in, uh, in other industries, 40 hours does seem, appear to be the sort of the threshold for when overtime kicks in, so I assume that must be the rationale behind uh, the utilization. Look, our job, from a labor perspective, isn't so much to comment on whether 40 hours or 60 hours is the right overtime number. Our job is to try to figure out how we can expand the workforce and the labor workforce. And if you heard my conversation in the hall today, uh, I think that Congress has a responsibility here, uh, which is why we are encouraging the Senate to do what it should have done a long time ago, which is to pass the Farm Worker Modernization Act. If you pass that act, then you're going to have significantly greater numbers of people working in agriculture, and the issue of overtime may not be as much of a challenge for farmers or for states. Uh, because you have a workforce that will be able to meet the demand for work uh, that, it, that needs to be done on the farm. So that's my response. Pass the Farm Work Modernization Act. In the meantime, uh, the Department of Agriculture is going to continue to work on its pilot project to try to do uh, what it can to expand the workforce. And, and just to follow up, you, you, you also mentioned, uh, the, or was alluded to, the uh, rail strike that was uh, averted, but also kind of shown light on the kind of tight supply chain that we have right now in agriculture. What needs to be done perhaps in the next couple of years or so in order to make sure that the, 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 the supply chain isn't as, as taut as it would be when it comes to uh, you know potential uh, labor disruption in a rail strike? Well, it's a couple things. Uh, it's rebuilding the infrastructure of this country so that we're in a position to be able to transport goods and, and, and uh, product more efficiently, less expensively. When you improve the rail system, when you improve the uh, roads and bridges, the locks and dam systems, the ports, the airports, you're in a position to be able to move product more quickly throughout the country. Uh, and that's gonna make it easier for Americans, uh, for the supply chain to be, to be uh, less uh, uh, disrupted as it is today. So that's one of the reasons why the bipartisan infrastructure bill was passed and the resources that are going into historic amounts of resources, once in a generation kind of resources going into fixing up our roads and bridges, our ports, our inland waterways, our airports, our rail system uh, is, is so incredibly important. Uh, secondly, I think it's by investing in more capacity and more competition. And that's one of the reasons why we uh, announced the processing initiative. Uh, we know in agriculture that there is a capacity issue. We know that there are four major uh, processing companies that process most of our and poultry, uh, which makes it more difficult for farmers to get a fair shake and consumers to get a choice. So we're in the process of expanding capacity. We're making grants to existing facilities. We're helping existing facilities with inspection fees so they stay in business. We're expanding the mid-level supply chain with loan guarantees. So we have more warehousing and cold storage. And we will be in October announcing a series of rolling announcements outlining additional investments in processing, new and expanded processing capacity. So that's an example of what needs to be the recently passed CHIPS bill, incredibly important to the supply chain, because critically important to the supply chain is technology, critically important to technology of chips. Uh, we've been too dependent on outside sources for chips, uh, and so now we're going to make them in America. Uh, and the president was recently at a facility, uh, at a groundbreaking in Ohio, a massive amount of investment being made uh, by a chips manufacturing facility in America, and we're doing the same thing on fertilizer. 
the announcement I made uh, just a minute ago, is an another reflection of what to do is expand capacity, fix the infrastructure, make America more competitive. Mr. Secretary, Janet Atkinson, RFDTV News. Hey, you touched on, good to see you again. See you. <laughs> you touched on the Packerson Stockyards Act. Of course, there's a lot of voices uh, having opinions on that measure. Uh, where are we moving forward? Where do you see the best idea for getting our livestock producers what they need? Well, first of all, uh, we announced earlier this year uh, the first of, of three rules on the Packerson Stockyards. Uh, the first rule was really focused on creating greater transparency in some of these contracts, particularly poultry contracts, um, and, and, and making some adjustments to the poultry tournament system. So that when you do business uh, with a company, you are in a better position to know uh, whether or not that company is uh, financially solvent, whether that company has the right expectations, uh, whether that company is going to operate by rules that are fair and balanced and transparent. So that was the first rule that we put in place. The second rule that we just recently announced uh, this week is really focused on uh, the, the relationship between companies and producers. When there may be actions uh, by the company to retaliate against the producer because uh, maybe they thought there was an unsafe working condition that they needed to report, or maybe they thought there was a, a problem that they needed to address at the state or local level or the federal level, and the next thing they know that there's some adverse consequence by virtue of their having done so. Uh, retaliation, maybe there's an act of discrimination. Uh, maybe uh, producers are not treated fairly and equitably. Uh, or maybe it's just a, a bit of undue uh, pressure uh, and prejudice on, on the operation. In the past, we required proof that you not only were retaliated against or discriminated against, we also required proof that that action impacted the competitive balance of the entire industry. Very, very high almost impossible to me. So what we're doing with this rule is we're basically saying, no, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is, is something that is individual to the producer, some action that is taken directly at the producer. And if it is, in fact, retaliation, if, in fact, it is discriminatory, if, in fact, it, re it uh, reflects undue uh, prejudice, then there ought to be a recourse under Packers and Stockyards. So that's what, we've, that's what we have, uh, that's what we're proposing. I'm going to put it out for comment. We'll see. As you say, there are probably some folks who are going to have some thoughts about this. But the, the, the goal here is to, is to create a balanced relationship. It's not to create a balance, uh, but to create a balanced relationship so that the farmers feel that the market's treated fairly. Do online questions? We have a question from Jackie Fafka from Farm Progress. Could any of the fertilizer grant money go directly to farmers, for instance, those who implement the four R's, or do you see this as more grants to build out capacity of more products that can help with utilization or uptake of nutrients for farmers so they would indirectly benefit by hopefully lower costs? Jackie, I think we've got two things going here that uh, I just want to remind you that earlier that, uh, this summer, I announced uh, the Nutrient Management Initiative uh, in Michigan with Senator Stavlow. That initiative basically is taking $40 million of uh, regional conservation partnership money and making it available to producers uh, to encourage the four R's. And we also announced at that time that the equip resources would be made available to farmers uh, in order to embrace the four R's in terms of nutrient management. And we announced the fact that we would make uh, the certification of technical specialists 
a little easier to obtain so that we get more boots on the ground to provide the technical advice uh, for producers. So that, that sort of addresses the first part of your question in terms of what's in it for producers. This particular announcement today is really designed to increase capacity, increase the, the amount of fertilizer that's being produced and the ingredients for fertilizer being produced in the United States that would make us less reliant on sources from Russia, for example. Uh, and in doing so, uh, obviously the goal is to create a more competitive market, which should result in more supply and lower costs for farmers. So you combine the two, farmers have equipped resources uh, to embrace the four R's, and we now have resources to encourage uh, independently owned operating, perhaps farmer-owned cooperatives, uh, for example, to, uh, to, to enter into the business of, of uh, manufacturing fertilizer. We have a question from Donnell Eller at the Des Moines Register. Can you explain or provide examples about how grant recipients can begin increasing fertilizer availability as soon as next year? Well, there is, uh, for example, a, a facility that is under construction, I believe, in Michigan, uh, that may be able to accelerate their construction uh, schedule if they were successful uh, in making a grant, uh, a grant request. Uh, so there are facilities that are, have been underway, are in construction, where uh, opportunities may be accelerated to be able to deal with more product in 2023 and 2024. That's why uh, we have a 45-day window for those applications, because they're already, if you will, down the road a bit, as opposed to a facility that is starting from scratch, uh, that is in the design phase, or is in uh, accumulating the resources and the financing to begin the design stage and the manufacturing stage. So there are two different time periods and what we got from the request for information that we submitted, we got lots of comments back and basically what folks said is, look, distinguish between the two. There are some ready to go that just need an extra push. Give them that extra push, we give it to them now. There are others who have a longer term uh, horizon to make sure that they do also receive uh, assistance so that you, in fact, over time, significantly increase capacity. With Agriculture In-Depth, brought to you by Sioux Nation in Fort Pier and by Kimball Livestock Exchange, I'm DRG Media Group News and Farm Director Jody Heemstra.